Welcome uh, to listening again to the First Church Podcast. I am here with Pastor Brendan Glass again this week. Yes, yes. Yeah, so welcome back, brother. Thanks for having me back. This is fun. <laughs> it is fun. Uh, I, enjoy, I enjoy getting to hang out with you and talk to you. Uh, today, we are going to uh, talk about the differences a little bit between the black and the white church. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm a white pastor. You're a black pastor. We don't speak for every black and white church. Not but, at all. <laughs> but it, it should be fun maybe discussing some of the differences. Uh, this kicks off, or this is the second of a series that we're going to do, um, just having some candid conversations. And really, the, the first two of our conversations are kind of groundwork for mm-hmm. maybe a little more difficult conversations. Uh, last week, we just kind of had to get to know you uh, for people who listen or, or want to listen. And then this week, we're going to talk about some of the differences between uh, the black and white church, which actually may play into some of the ways or how we respond differently mm-hmm. uh, to different issues uh, in society or culture or why we speak into maybe different issues even as the church or it, you know, maybe it's perceived that we speak into different issues as, mm-hmm. as the church in general. And so we needed to lay, lay some groundwork there, um, and uh, I hope this conversation is helpful and fruitful for that. And so let's just start off, man. I'll just a- ask you, um, what do you see to be, be the big differences in the black and white church? The big differences in the black and white church, that is a very loaded question. I can go a million different directions in that one. Um, the biggest difference, though, however, is the historical formulated, uh, the historical components that formulated each church, which is what we see uh, manifesting today. Biggest one, not necessarily being theological, but practical. Mm-hmm. Um, just the worship styles are different. The, yeah. the preaching styles are different. Um, and those all are based on how these churches were formulated historically. Like Why there even is a black church and a white church has to do with matters of practicality initially which he later kind of evolved into, um, you know, just 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 discrimination mm-hmm. um, in terms of uh, how high can a black preacher go in our organization? Um, when that, when you hit that particular glass ceiling, eventually after that glass ceiling was hit enough times, uh, the black pastors uh, began to um, say we need to petition or just have our own thing, which is kind of how the African method. Mm-hmm. African Methodist Episcopalian Church was birthed. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, honestly, the biggest difference is just the practicalities, like the how we worship in church, yeah. um, how we worship in church uh, week in and week out, how we preach, how we respond to preaching, which is a, it just kind of speaks to the richness of the spirituality that actually came over here during the slave trade. So mm-hmm. that's the biggest difference, in my opinion. So you talked about the spirituality that came over here during the s- slave trade. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe speak to that a little bit. Sure. Uh, I, I've actually heard you, I think I heard a little bit of your talk about um, Christianity being white man's religion. Yeah. Uh, trying to debunk that. Oh, yeah. Oh, right? yeah oh, Not yeah. trying to, but actually, you know, debunking that. Uh, and uh, I, I don't hear that a ton. I, I've heard that a little bit. I actually had of a friend. Um, who was a great preacher, uh, leave Christianity. Mm-hmm. I think basically on those terms uh, mm-hmm. that Christianity is 
a white, the white man's religion and they stole our spirituality from us basically during the slave trade. Um, now, I don't think that's the complete truth um, necessarily, and I think you actually believe the same thing. And so maybe speak into why uh, you think that Christianity isn't white, the white man's religion oh, yeah. and well, how maybe the church births out of that, the black church births out of those roots, if you can, you know. Okay, that's yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like three, four questions. Yeah, in that yeah, one. yeah. All right. So the main reasons we could say that Christianity is not a white man's religion is actually because Christianity spread through North Africa before it reached the European continent. Mm-hmm. Um, North Africa was instrumental in the uh, development of most of the doctrines that we have today. Um, Saint Augustine of Hippo. who probably is the individual responsible for the majority of our westernized theology in terms of grace. Oh, Uh, by far, right? I mean, John Calvin and and Martin Luther was most influenced by him. And, And, you know, he was from Carthage in Africa. Actually, he was born somewhere else in Africa. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Athanasius, Mm -hmm. uh, who was responsible for defending our trinitarian doctrine um against the arians in uh the fourth century was well his he was his nickname was the black dwarf yeah i'm, I'm looking behind you at my books about uh from augustine and an eighth oh yeah <laughs> yeah so, so you already yeah, know yeah yeah so it's just uh-huh. stuff like that which kind of speaks to that reality that, that you know it's not a white man's religion but what has happened is that um the you know when there was the schism between the north african church and the roman catholic church that kind of created a divide you know we have this period where christianity is developing um but the north african church is not a part of that narrative they're not a part of that conversation um so what takes place over time is you begin to have like this breaking away and it in the history of church uh becomes it's a western religion birthed out of rome (laughs) what kind of becomes the idea um so that's just kind of what happens you have this isolated church um that pretty much dominates the Christian narrative, even though you have a Persian church, you have a North African church, you have churches all over Mm -hmm. uh, the region at that particular point in time. So when people say that Christianity is a white man's religion, a lot of it is because they're not willing to admit or they're just not aware of the true fundamental history of Christianity. Now, fast forward, why do they say that is the question. And the reason they say that is because at at you know, once the Portuguese began to exploit uh, Western Africa, um, they had the blessing of the church. Um, when slavery was uh, pretty much developing the American economy, the only reason they were able to do that is because you had the blessing of the church. Because you had these slavers, uh, you had white slavers who were on these ships, and they're like, "Man, this 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 behavior is abhorrent. We can't do this." I'm poor and, you know, I need this job on this slave ship as, but no, we can't do this. So they needed to do something because it was about that, that industry was about to crumble. So what they uh-huh. did was they got the sanction from the church by dehumanizing those who were from the dark planet or from the continent of Africa. Yeah. So because, so because uh, the church has been so complicit in 
the horrors of sla- the slave trade to Jim Crow to the conflict leasing system to all of those particular systems. That's why it, uh, people began to reject Christianity. We saw that happening in the begin to happen in the late fifties, early sixties. Yeah. Um, and it's like, well, this is a white man's religion. Well, that's based on how the white man used the religion. Yeah, which is very unfortunate because you think about them being able to basically ease the consciences of the people who are doing the work of the church, right, right on behalf of Portugal, the United States eventually, all mm-hmm. those sorts of things. They, they ignored, right, Genesis 1 and 2 yeah. and all people being created in the image mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. Like, ignored it. They ignored it. They had to get rid of that, that core mm-hmm. piece of doctrine that mm-hmm. all of us should believe, right, and yeah. adhere to. Yeah. And, yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, and, 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 and it speaks to how influential money is. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because that was the motivation. Yeah. Like, the, the motivation at that point in time at, was not so much, ooh, we just want white people to feel as though they're superior to black people. The purpose of the superiority was for economic power. We want to have this economic power, and the way that we can have this economic power is by being able to, with a clear conscience, uh, uh, develop and implement and continue to propagate this slave industry mm-hmm. for centuries. Yeah. <laughs> for centuries, dude. Like, not, you know, not, oh man, we did this, you know, we had this horrible period of decades, uh-huh. you know. Uh, but for centuries, the American economy was built on the slave trade. So uh, what you're saying, I, I think, and this I think can maybe lead us to the second thing maybe to talk about in relation to all of this. So we kind of maybe continue to build on it or just hit, go down rabbit trails maybe. Oh, yeah, that's um, fine. I love rabbit trails. So what the, what the black church then did is basically go back and say, not reinvent uh, – Christianity or whatever, but go back to really its core tenets in Genesis 1 and 2 and said, no, we are made in the image of God as well. And so we're going to reclaim that uh, as you, you know, you continue to build your theology on that. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, you know, talk about maybe how uh, African-Americans view or, or began to view even the scriptures in light of their own uh, bondage and so, like, let me give you an example, and you can speak into this more. Mm-hmm. So when we read, uh, when we, a lot of times when we in the white church, right, read the Exodus story, like we are reading it uh, um, uh, as not as myth as in it's not true, but as in, like, um, this is true, this is a spiritual truth, which it is, mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. that we have to be saved from bondage, mm-hmm. from the theoretical Pharaoh, sin, Satan, hell, all of those sorts of things. And so often when we preach Exodus, like that's where we're camping out mm-hmm. a lot of times. But uh, the black church, I, right, when you're preaching Exodus, um, you're probably looking at your history a little more and like that's who we were and especially while they were in slavery like they saw God as actual like physical deliverer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, from spiritual bondage and, and even economic oppression yeah. as slaves yeah so yeah so to that yeah that the Exodus story was one of the stories uh, that carried 
most of the theological narrative for the slave in particular. Um, they they identified with that narrative. They identified with bondage. They identified with that, and it resonated within them. One thing that is, you know, the question that we have to ask is, you know, what what was going on in the conversion of those early slaves? Like, what what was happening? Was it good preaching? What was it? Was it? Was it? You know, was it, was it the Holy Spirit um, that you had these early slaves who would convert to Christianity? And the honest truth is, uh, the early slaves. Uh, converted to Christianity just to get along just to get along um, it was not necessarily that they were evangelized it was not necessarily that they um, uh, uh, were enlightened um, but many of them they converted just to get along in that you know the Holy Spirit didn't begin to work them did begin to work within them and move them but it's not until you start to see the second and third generation slaves who are actually giving themselves over to Christianity because uh, they were, um, you know, converted by the doctrine, converted by, you know, they really were raising it and they were leaving and they really grasped a hold of it. Um, These are those who began to really examine the scriptures. You know, those are the ones who began to grasp a hold of certain narratives and see, okay, it is possible to serve a God who is a good God who loves his people, even though they're in bondage. Mm. Like, you know, because yeah. before there, there's a, there, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't really make sense. Like, wait a minute. Why should I worship this God? You know, this doesn't make sense. Why? Why would your God? Why was, so would I say he's good? Yeah. So these slaves are looking at it like, oh, OK, cool. We can say he's good because deliverance is coming. We could say he's good because he cares for us. The Bible says that he heard their cries uh, in Exodus 2. He heard their cry, the cries of his people. And so the African slave began to take that in. They began to take that in as their narrative. And, you know, from this, you know, um, there's a great book um, on Martin Luther King's last sermon. I forgot the name of it. Um, but he also talks about how the author of this book talks about how uh, throughout the you know, from slavery up through civil rights movements, mm-hmm. you know, those Old Testament narratives of God being a God of justice and delivering his people uh, really spoke to them, really spoke yeah. to them. So how did coming out of um, bondage, slavery, Jim Crow, whatever, how did um, how does that shape uniquely shape the black church? Maybe, you know, how did it shape it? You can go back history as far as you want, mm-hmm. and how does how does it shape it for today? Like what why what makes what makes maybe the black church in some ways a little unique or mm-hmm. different from from what you know people who attend my church might be used to. Man, that is a great question, Josh. How does it shape its spirituality? You know, it, it, spirituality is um, something that is deeply ingrained in the DNA of African-Americans, the descendants of slaves in particular. It's deeply ingrained in them. Even sometimes they don't realize it, <laughs> but it's like deeply ingrained in that, inside of them. Because um, during those struggles of slavery, Jim Crow, segregation, um, uh, you know, all kinds of just crimes against them because of their race, um, during all of that, the, the the connection to God 
is what kind of created a sense of it was the rallying point for the community. Mm-hmm. Our connection to God, our connection to the creator. Um, that is what brought us together. That is what kept us together. That is that is that that was a cornerstone to the community. Um, this 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 God who we are praying to believing and trusting on faith that our deliverance is coming. And that became the kind of the 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 undertone of the black church is God is our helper. God is our deliverer. God will see us through. And even to this day in the African-American church, you know, that is that's what resonates within the souls of black folk with the souls of the black church is God is our helper. God is our deliverer. God will see us through. Um, it, it's, I'm reading a book now where it talks about um, it's, it's, it's like a, a, a journal of a, a collection of prayers from slavery all through like even modern oppression mm. that happens in the 90s um, up to the 1990s. Um, I forgot the name of the book right now, uh, but it's a book and, and it's amazing how that is how these prayers read. God, you're my helper. God, you're my deliverer. God, you're going to see us through. And a lot of the songs that are sung, a lot of the sermons that are preached, uh, just kind of still run in that vein. Um, and it is birthed out of a people who were introduced to this relationship, to this faith under oppression. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, under oppression. So that's why it's different. You know, that's why there's a difference there um, between the white church and black church, I believe, in terms of some of the themes uh, that we may see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have I, I was trying to think, you know, questions before we kind of got together and so forth and maybe things to to talk about. And I, uh, I've been reading a, a number of books, but one of them most recently that I read was Oneness Embraced by Tony Evans. And he talks about the uniqueness of the black church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe I can read just some of these quotes to you and um, you can just kind of maybe elaborate on them or tell me what you, how you feel about them. Um, and uh, yeah, just sure. So here he, he talks about um, the African-American church and um, kind of the difference, again, between kind of the white church and the black church either. He says, whereas white preachers and theologians often describe Jesus as Christ and the spiritual Savior to deliver people from personal sin and guilt, African-American preachers viewed God as liber- liberator in history. And mm-hmm. he spoke a little bit about that and, um, uh, and in relationship, obviously, to the Exodus. And it kind of goes on and a little bit here. He says, doctrines about his theological nature were subordinate to his pragmatic power in life. He was experienced as savior and a friend. There is no human condition that Jesus could not meet. Yeah. Yeah, that's deep. Um, And that's one of the, that's one of the areas that we even see as conflict today when it comes to Jesus and how he's supposed to be applied to even what we're dealing with in our society right now. Mm -hmm. So you have certain individuals that say, well, you know, no, no, pump your brakes social justice and you know pump your brakes uh racial reconciliation preachers and messages and wait 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 we cannot allow 
the matters of today to kind of hijack the gospel. That's not what the gospel was about. So, you know, I have a lot of people who are out there saying that, and that's what uh, Dr. Evans is speaking to. Um, you know, one of the most powerful revelations that I've come to read in the recent uh, years is just kind of looking at how different would the narrative of our world be? How different would the story of the world be? And, and even, even, even in the church, if theology was shaped by a diverse group, <laughs> if it wasn't just these white male, how different would it look? And that's where certain people are challenging um, when they're talking about what he's referring to, because, you know, if you don't have to worry about oppression, then guess what? It's easy to say that the gospel does not speak to oppression. If you don't have to worry about poverty, then it's easy to say the gospel does not speak to poverty. If you don't have to worry about racial injustice, then it's easy to say that the gospel does not speak to those particular things. Um, and, and you know, what some modern theologians have been doing um, in order to challenge that is to say, wait, 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 yeah, we have salvation because of the redeeming work of the cross. But what about the life that Jesus lived as an example for us to know how to treat one another but we want to ignore the first three years and just focus on the last three days but the first three three years kind of lays the groundwork <laughs> of what humanity is supposed to look like how we're supposed to act and how we're supposed to deal with one another yeah. and you know so yeah when dr tony Evans is speaking to that you know um, a lot of your people who are you know kind of commentators on the life of jesus christ from that angle of uh, justice, you know, they're saying, wait a minute, there's m the life of Jesus Christ tells the story and demonstrates how we're supposed to treat each other and love each other. And yeah, the redeeming power is a beautiful thing. And, and, and the cross is, you know, everything. I mean, that's what it all comes down to. But we can't forget the ethic of Jesus' life. Yeah, what it looks like to live out the kingdom of God. I know one of the things every once in a while when I'm listening to African-American preachers, um, I feel like they talk about the kingdom of God a little more mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. like we do in the white church. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you see that's Jesus's, that's what Jesus preaches about and talks about most often. Yeah. Um, uh, and so that the kingdom ethic, what that looks like, um, you know, I think Tony Evans and, and a lot of others kind of see it uh, a little more broadly than I do. I see it primarily playing out within the church and then mm -hmm. it kind of oozes out into uh, society um, all that to say, though, we, we are kingdom people, yeah. and we are to be apprentices of Jesus and follow Jesus mm -hmm. and, and live that out and try to figure out, like, what does this look like mm -hmm. in the church? What does it look like? Uh, how, how should the church, I guess, dis, you know, display this to the world, but then also call the world to a better kingdom? Yeah. Um, or things that I think the black church thinks about sometimes a little bit better than, than maybe the white church does, yeah. because we're a lot of times we're focused on the individual uh, a little too much. I think individual change is very important. Groups don't change unless individual hearts change, right. in my view, while at the same time uh, uh, we have to have, like, a collective ethic. Yeah, uh, so 
I love that the, you're painting a picture of how the African American church used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Cornel West he wrote in his book um, um, "Prophetic Fire" how <laughs> how the African American community went from a we mindset mm-hmm. to an I mindset and that's one of the reasons you don't see as much of what you're talking about anymore mm-hmm. like that's just the, that's just the sickness of America yeah I agree I mean that's, that's <laughs> in the white like that's in yeah. our it's crept into us mm-hmm. as well I mean that's mm-hmm. yeah like, I mean that's I think just America it's spilled over. yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's American culture that's American culture so because yeah. of that you know I mean even in the church right now it's very I African American church is very I where we don't have this common struggle it seems like anymore where initially it was slavery and then it was Jim Crow and it was injustice and all of that stuff as taught by Martin Luther King is just the manifestation of the real enemy which is sin yeah yeah (laughs) like so that's how you know this is how Martin Luther King can preach love your enemies because you know he he went above what was happening he's like look this world is sick and this is just the mon- the manifestation of the sickness this segregation and all this other stuff mm-hmm. um but yeah the reality is yeah we've we've moved away from that and just we've become so individualistic in our society that even in the african american church a lot of the messages now are your blessing your deliverance you're this you're that you're wow. this um which is fine it's necessary we all need to understand that god does love us as individuals the very yeah. hairs on our head are number he loves us um but that communal aspect of the gospel that's lost it's yeah. lost and so what, my biggest uh and maybe you have a different view of this when i think about that and in terms of the vision for the church mm-hmm. like part of that and like well it, it's good that right the the black church no longer has to think about itself potentially right a little bit this is not true in all things uh as a monolithic monolithic group uh that is fighting to get free for all these things that we actually can talk about individual things and so now can we get to a more multiracial church Mm. that then is able to come together and you know do good on on behalf or just be the church and and follow Jesus together, and it's not a kind of an us and them. While at the same time, if both the black and the white church are so individualistic, yeah, um, it's hard to get behind anything. Yeah, uh, it's hard to be the church right now. <laughs> I think um, is the problem both in the black and white church. It's hard to have uh, a, a community of people. Um, who's going to support each other through kind of thick and thin, who are going to uh, bear one another's burdens, mm-hmm. um, who are even uh, going to, in a time like we're in right now, um, I don't know, be able to disagree with one another about certain issues and still see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, you know, so you talked about Dr. King. I guess maybe I'm rambling a little bit here, but we've had this conversation when we did crossover and um black lives matters Mm -hmm. came up kind of then 
and I don't know if we'll, we actually plan to talk about that another time, but I, I think maybe the, um, in my view, again, as I look at like BLM and its leadership, like the organization, um, what makes it so difficult for so many white Christians even to get behind that phrase is because organization, we can get to that at some other point, but is that that movement is being led by people who are not Christ followers. Right. And so, um, I mean, openly, and, you know, if you read even some of the stuff that they put out, it's like, yeah, this is not the gospel. Um, whereas Dr. King, you had this, you had this leader mm-hmm. who was a Christian man, Christian ethic, and his message to the entire society was like, hey, you aren't living out your Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, which, again, like, uh, well, the white church still didn't get behind. Um, but uh, it was more convicting um, as you read throughout history. Uh, I think it's easier to get behind. I think that's why, you know, you see people like Billy Graham, you saw people like Billy Graham and others mm-hmm. eventually get on board. Took them longer than it should have. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't, I, where is that, like, wh- who is the next Dr. King? Mm. Like, <laughs> you know, or, or where is that? And maybe it's because the church has become so individualistic. Like now we're not actually, you're not actually looking to church leaders and I don't think the white church is either for a lot of these issues. Um, you know, so it's not, hey, this is an indictment on the black church, but what happened? That's a good question. What happened? Um, well, <laughs> ooh, that's a you know, tap into my African-American studies <laughs> to what happened. All right, so you, at a point in time, there, the, the black church was the cornerstone of the black community. Yeah. So we, it, it was no... It's no coincidence or accident that the majority of your leaders during the civil rights movie, movement were pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, this is because the black community going back to slavery, once African Americans and the African slave began to embrace and adopt and basically retake Christianity for themselves, not just as the slave owner's religion, but this is actually my religion. Mm-hmm. The cornerstone became that pastor, the preacher. And throughout history, the pastor, the preacher, you know, they were, you know, they were, we would consider like the elder of the community, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is for everything for I need advice in marriage to I need advice because I'm having troubles down at the courthouse to, you know, money, everything. So the pastor was the lawyer. He was the uh, my my mom tells me about uh, my great grandfather who was a pastor, um, not educated, but, you know, he was, he was able to read. He was, and he said all kinds of people come to him for just counsel, social issues, all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is how the pastor was. So what you saw was you saw this, you know, this one individual in the community that had the voice of the community. And that is why you have that. This is when the, when they said, look, we're going to go to the civil rights movement. The first person they would go to is the pastors. They would go to the churches. They knew that. That was a strategy. The pastor has the voice of the black community. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what happened, like we said earlier, is when the uh, James Meredith, he was shot doing a one-man march to um, Alabama, Mississippi, one of those places. He was shot. And people were just incensed. He was by himself. It was just, it was horrible. He was a sniper shot him. And it was just horrible. And people were incensed, just kind of like how people are incensed right now. Like, just he's just a black man walking. Let him be. Um, and you had your old guard civil rights leaders who were like, hey, you know, let's protest, let's march. You had the young <laughs> civil rights leaders, um, Stokely Carmichael in particular, fed up. Mm-hmm. They're fed up. And at that point in time, there was a divide between the old guard and the young guard. So they were like, well, we're tired of listening to these preachers. We're tired of listening to these individuals who are telling us to, you know, peaceful protest. We're ready to blow some stuff up. We're ready to tear some stuff up. And this is when you begin to see the birth of, like, the Black Panther movement and Pan-Africanism. And, um, you know, uh, you just begin to see more of a not not so much a militant radical, let's go blow some stuff up. But that's when you begin to see the Black Power movement. Let's stop being subservient. Let's stop being weak. So when that kind of... You know, that kind of created this whole new wing of um, of 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 leaders, young leaders. And I'm not going to become a conspiracy theorist um, or anything like that. But what began to happen is those old guard leaders, they kind of slipped into the background of politics. The younger ones. All right. I'm going to sound like conspiracy theorists. <sighs> Most of them ended up having to go into exile, in prison, or were killed. So you kind of have this void mm-hmm. <laughs> of black leadership. Um, so, you know, you everybody thought, okay, what's going to be the, the next generation of Jesse Jacksons and, you know, people, those young preachers around that generation. But they got, sw- they got swallowed up in the politics. Mm. They got swallowed up in the politics. Um, and next thing you know like you said there's this void so that's kind of a history lesson as to what happened yeah um and 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 with that fracturing you know instead of that you have these pastors and churches that come together for matters of civil rights we're just doing our own thing yeah <laughs> but there is no rallying voice just doing our own thing yeah yeah that's Yes, it's just something I've I've wondered about, and I think a lot of people probably wonder about that sort of thing, like who who like if we were even, um, I guess what pastor maybe should we be listening to occasionally? Uh, like if you would you recommend somebody in the white church, what black pastor? Tony Evans, man, like like, yeah. If if we're talking about a good balanced approach to issues, you're speaking to one that's one of my favorite. Tony Evans um, is is amazing um, when it comes to those particular matters. Um, It's just very well rounded, very well rounded. Mainly because he's respected in both circles. He's respected by the black pastors and he's respected by the white pastors. So he's just one of those individuals who can, who really can, you know, have that ability to just kind of pull people in. Um, and you, and, and there are, there are many pastors that are kind of in that vein, you know what I mean? Where they have the audience, the attention of both black and white voices. Um, they're not 
so given over to the white voices that they're out of touch with the black community and not so given over to the black community that they cannot communicate to the white. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, people in that vein, you know, in locally here in Akron, Bishop Johnson mm-hmm. is respected by both white and black. So whenever he was actually just put in charge of like a commission on uh, social uh, racial racial justice um, in the city of Akron. Mm-hmm. And this is an appointment he got like from the mayor and the police department yeah. and all those, all those particular people. Um, so there's a few. Um, well, those are a couple, like one local, one national. Uh, who do a great job speaking on these particular matters. But in terms of, like, overall, who can lead as an Lex Martin Luther King, I don't know if we need that. Yeah, and I, 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 you know, you <laughs> actually said something, I think, in your conversation that just kind of a collective voice, like somebody everybody just kind of looks up to. Because mm-hmm. it's not like everybody agreed with Dr. King and yeah. all his assumptions and everything he did. I mean, he did. He had a, you know, you read about his life, um, uh, incredible man. <laughs> you, and you read his sermons and stuff oh, like yeah. that, stuff he was able to say and do, just... Yeah. It's like you're just blown away uh, by it. But it's not like everybody just got behind him. No. And um, and that's black and white. And yeah. and the funny thing is, you know, Cornel West, the great, great author. I don't know if you read any. Oh, you have. I think that's the time you read I've never read Cornel West. I've okay. watched him, listened to him. Okay. You know, so he, he, he says that we are guilty in this modern era of the Santa Clausification of Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther King was at like a 20 30 percent approval rating when he died for both black and white folk yeah and main reason because uh martin luther king you know he was he was all about the christian ethic Mm -hmm. and he was challenging everything that went against the christian ethic everything from the economy to the militarization of our of our government to everything um and he was not liked so like the, the the stuff you know, because obviously the Black Lives Matter movement, people, they're getting in trouble because, you know, they're doing weird spiritual kooky stuff. But outside of that, people are like, oh, they're Marxists and they're this and they're that and all this other stuff. That's what they're saying about Martin Luther King. Yeah. <laughs> they started yeah. saying that about him uh, before he died. Yeah, I mean, FBI was actually mm-hmm. open, not openly, covertly, um, you know, accusing him of communism and mm-hmm. being a communist and all of those sorts of things. Yeah. Now, we can talk more about Black Lives Matter concerning some of those sorts of things, but we'll talk about that another time. Yeah, let's do that next so time. So we'll, we'll, we'll stay on the church here. Um, but, yeah, that, that was actually happening yeah. with Dr. King. And from what I can tell, uh, you know, Dr. King tried to make it known that he was not a communist, that he was not an agent of Russia or no. any place like that. He tried over and over again. Um, but Hoover was... Yeah, operating in a way to really kind of blackmailing over a number of issues, some of which he was actually guilty of, right. um, infidelity and so forth. But that didn't that still does not negate what he was doing for no. the the black community no. there um, to bring about justice and so forth. Um, what Hoover was doing was, was relatively evil in and of itself. Um, and, and trying to blackmail him in the ways that he was. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's not. He was not without his challenges or challengers no. No. within his own organizations. And, um, or in organizations, yeah. um, you know, the, the Martin Luther King, you know, who was a black preacher who could call the president on demand. Yeah. And. and Many people weren't comfortable with that. 
they were not comfortable with the fact that he had this much influence and he had that much power and you know that was that caused concern even for people on his side mm-hmm. even for people within the organization they're like man why is this this is not good if this becomes a Martin Luther King show this is not good um, if the movement is it it hinges upon his words and his actions and you know it, and they they were concerned many people were concerned that um, because you know they were just really concerned um, that his influence and his power was actually not helping um, because they many people felt it needed to be a lot more grassroots okay because if it's more grassroots now we are able to change communities you know from the bottom up as opposed uh-huh. to let's try and get the government to change the world top down yeah so let's let's empower individual african americans let's empower individual african american communities let's let's try to find change and create development to, to the strategies there as opposed to well let's just change some laws and hope that everything's going to come right after that so yeah, man, it was unfortunately very, very, very divisive. He was. Yeah. So there's a, a something that I've heard the black church accused of. Yes. A little bit. Um, uh, is this? You, you kind of brought it up there. It's too political. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say about that? The black church is too political. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> it that is that is a hard. It's hard to speak to because it's, it's a blanket generalization. Yeah, yeah. That is true in certain churches, but not all. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, we have to keep in mind, if you want to get, <laughs> if you want to reach African Americans throughout history, you have to go to the black church. So this is why every campaign year, you have mostly democratic politicians that will go black churches and, you know, because that's where the community rallies. Um, but what you're starting to recognize, you know, in recent years, just in my lifetime, it's starting to decline a little bit. And the reason it's starting to decline a little bit is because politicians have to not be associated too closely to matters of morality and mm. matters of religion they can't be too close to that because there's so much more diversity in our country now and it's like wait a minute well, why are you going to a church and not a mosque yeah <laughs> you know why are you going to a mosque and not you know over here to a synagogue so you know it can be very off-putting so you're starting to see a little bit a lot of that less um, um in a lot of your churches now um but yeah it, it's not so much that the black church has always been political it's just that the black church has always placed demand on politicians mm-hmm. to change, to produce change. You know, so if you want our vote, come talk to us. Yeah. If you wanna, if you want our community to be a part of us or be a part of you and support you, come join, be a part of the community. Show us that you care. So it's just that we placed a demand on them, mm-hmm. and that's what made it seem like the church is political. It's not really African American church, especially today. It's not as political. Certain churches are, yes. Uh-huh. Um, because you have certain pastors who are plugged into politics, or not plugged into politics, but they they have relationships with politicians, mm-hmm. and those individuals 
there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, yeah, their their churches might be a little bit more active in politics and stuff like that, but not, not so much anymore. Yeah. yeah. What would you say to a person? I guess you just said that, but is there anything? How do, how do people view the white church yeah, that's in relationship a good question. to that? How do black folk view the white church? Yeah, maybe in relationship to that. It depends, man. Yeah. It depends. Black people, we're not, I can say we're not a monolith, man. Yeah. We're, you, you got some black folk who prefer the white church. Okay. They prefer it. Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to go there today. Well, it depends on their background. It's supposed to be a candid conversation. Candid, say whatever right. you want. Like I can if say people whatever don't I want. Listen, then, uh, yeah. No, this is cool. I was just talking yeah. to another person. I've, yeah. I've actually said this. Uh-huh. I said it actually very loud online to yeah. hundreds of people. So. All right, so you got a lot of reasons. One reason is, all right, cool, I'm just enculturated white. Like, I just prefer white. Like, that's just the way it is. Grew guys, up in a white culture. I grew up in a white culture. Okay. I grew up uh, going to white churches, and it's just what I prefer. I prefer the worship style, and that's nothing wrong with That's just the way when you live in a country where, you know, everything is about the option, you can choose that. Yeah. But you have another segment of, I've been saying this a lot lately, so maybe uh, you got <laughs> There's another segment of the African-American community where they uh, they they really uh, enjoy the admiration and appreciation that they get in the black in the white church that they won't get in the black church. Okay. So it's 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 it's. I feel like I should receive a little bit more attention. I feel as though my gifts are not being regarded and recognized. I feel as though, you know, these things that should be coming my way are not coming my way. And there's frustration. Yeah. There's frustration. And then I go to the white church and they're excited to see a black face. <laughs> we gotta get somebody up there so we're not racist. <laughs> exactly. You you affirm what we believe about ourselves that we are not racist. So now, you know, they go there and they're and I, that may not be the case. This may not be why people are doing it. I just you know, it's not. It, it's always. just the worst thing in the world right now to be accused of being a racist. And so exactly. It's like, let's march this. Let's get this person <laughs> on the platform. Or hey, I've got something. Yeah. You know, like, I'm, I'm friends with you. Like this is right. great, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a black friend. Right? right. I mean, that's a bad thing to say. Like people, whatever. But yeah. it's okay. It's okay uh, when it's given permission. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's okay when it's given permission. Where it's like. For your for for you, it's like all right. I want to talk about stuff that I need to address. So let me call my black friend, <laughs> and that makes sense. You have permission, okay, and vice versa. But what we're talking about is in the black community, in the black church, I'm a member. But I go to the white church, and I'm more than a member. Mm, okay, and that does something to the ego. It does something to the psychology. It does something. So because, and they don't even realize. A lot of times, I've, I've, I've seen this for the entire, as long as I've been in ministry. They don't even realize that's what's happening. Yeah. I've seen individuals who go from a white church to a black church and couldn't stand it. Why? Because here I'm just a black person in the church. I'm just in the crowd. But over there, I stick out. Over there, I'm preaching. I'm loved. They give me this. They give me that. And there's just like this, you know, there is this underlying message of you as a black family here or as a black person here, you legitimize me a little bit more. You legitimize our church a little bit more. We are no longer can say we're a white church, because especially in these times, that don't sound good. 
yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Like, once you hit, especially, I, mean, I think it's for most generations, right? But once you get to my generation and younger, like, nobody wants to be in a monolithic culture exactly. anymore to a certain extent as far as the way we look. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it makes you look, whether you are or not, right? Don't look good. It doesn't look good anymore. <laughs> no. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. yeah. So that's, so that's yeah. one of the reasons. I mean, and that's not like that. For, I mean, is that a blanket thing always? No. Some yeah. people... I just that's God has called Pastor Josh to be my pastor. I'm African American. This that I can hear his voice. God speak. That is the case majority of the times, yeah. I believe. But there are those times where individuals prefer the white church because here I get the attention. So it's like it's like the you know we're both we like both like sports. Yeah. It's like the athlete that was recruited to play at a big school. And they get there and they realize compared to all these other division one athletes, I'm average. Yeah. I don't like it. So what do I do? I'm transferring. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to transfer to a smaller school. Right. I'm going to to a smarter Uh, school where uh, I could dominate. Yeah. Ben Roethlisberger, he did that. Yeah. He was, wasn't he recruited to Ohio State or something? I don't something know. Like he that? might have. I, think, I know he played think, for Miami, Ohio. Yeah, he I was, watched him I, play in college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I yeah. think he was. I think he was recruited to like play at Ohio State or something like that. But someone said, "Look, there, you're just an average quarterback. You go yeah. down here, you'll dominate." It worked Which out. He did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out. So I think that's what you kind of see as well. That's interesting. I've never heard that before. So if you want to tell some of your people who aren't feeling real great about themselves right now, if they want to come over and worship with us, okay, cool. Welcome. All right, sweet. That. I will yeah. do that. I will make yeah. the announcement this Sunday. Yeah, just tell them. Let them know. <laughs> <laughs> It'll work. <laughs> That's exactly what we want, right? Just switching sheep. Exactly. Just, just switching up sheep there. Um, yeah, that's 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 interesting. Um, I'd never thought of it like that before. Or, yeah, yeah whatever. So um, here's a, a topic as far as, like, the, the black church is concerned. Typically, the black church has been, throughout its history, for obvious reasons, we talked about some of them, more involved in, like, civil disobedience. Um, I think probably more often you would hear mm-hmm. uh, a black preacher pastor talk about, their, you know, mm-hmm. uh, hey, let's go protest or, or do this or that, whereas white preacher, teacher, well, let's go read Romans 13, right? <laughs> why, here's why the government was put in play, you know, to keep order. And, um, and uh, so, I don't know, speak into that a little bit. Yeah, I, I can, I can, I've got Tony Evans' book here. I'm using some of the things that sure. he has pointed out, but, and I can read this quote if you want me to, or you can just go in. Go for it. Read it. I would okay, love, so love to hear it. Here's, here's what Tony Evans says about uh, biblical uh, disobedience. First, he put, points out the biblical justification for it. He says, after Peter and the other apostles were freed from prison, they spoke about Jesus in the temple, a direct violation of the Sanhedrin's command for them not to teach others about Christ. When they were arrested again and brought before the council, Peter justified their violation by saying, we must obey God rather than men. Um, this shows us that whenever a religious or civil ruling body, the Sanhedrin, had both religious power and a wide political power, con- that <clears throat> and this power contradicts what God has said or commanded, we are justified to, dis- to disobey its laws. And then he goes on uh, down here lo- further, and he says, in addition, when the government fails to fulfill its divine responsibility of promoting justice, and he refers there to Romans 13, mm-hmm. then Christians have the right and responsibility to resist as long as such resistance is within Christian behavior. Yeah, that's powerful. And I agree with that 100%. And like it's like, and you know, that 
he's he's speaking to the platform that Martin Luther King stood on. Like he's basically saying in his own words what Martin Luther King said in the letter from the Birmingham jail, which I think you've yeah you've read yeah yeah. Um, I agree. Now, where's the difference? Where's why is there a difference between? Well, why don't white churches see it this way and black churches might see it? And why are black churches more involved in civil disobedience? That's interesting. Um, Gandhi had a conversation with Howard Thurman, and he says, you know, the he he basically says the ones the the group that can show the world how to um, how to go about civil disobedience peaceful protests to the extent that it will produce change more so than any other group in the world is the African American Gandhi said that to Howard Thurman mm-hmm. um, and he looked at the plight of the slave the plight of the Jim Crow African Americans the plight of the injustices and he says if this powerful, strong, surviving people can agree to lay down violence and peacefully protest, then no one else will be with us with excuse. Hmm. No one else have an excuse. If that those people who've been brutalized for centuries cannot respond or can respond nonviolently, then What's what's the rest? Of, what's the excuse for the rest of the world? So he was actually, you know, encouraging. Please lead the world in this. Lead the world in this. So that's part of. And another reason is because. So and Howard Thurman was basically a mentor of Dr. King. Yes. And Dr. King kept Howard Thurman's book Jesus and the Disinherited with him wherever he wanted. It's a short, simple book, mm-hmm. but everybody should read it. It's a great book. Everyone should read Howard Thurman's Jesus and the Disinherited. It's a great book because yeah. it speaks to that whole Christian ethic mm-hmm. thing. And and so to answer your question, like, yeah, that's that's part of it. It's kind of this, we have a responsibility mm-hmm. to do th- two things. One, stay faithful to uh, the princip- the Christian principles of love and the Christian principles of forgiveness, but we also have to fight injustice. So you put those two together, mm-hmm. you know, boom, there you go. Yeah. Now, when it comes to the white church and why there is, you know, maybe not that strong, com- you know, compelling feeling to do, to go that route mm-hmm. um, is it's, it's that, that connection to suffering is not there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that, that's not, it's not always there. It's like, I don't really, I don't know your suffering. So I don't really feel compelled. Now, with that being said, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give out a false picture of how the civil rights movement went, you know, from like 1875 to like 1955 or 1959. I got to look it up again. Uh, there were close to 4,000 lynchings in our country. Mm-hmm. Close to 4,000 lynchings. 1,300 of those individuals lynched were white people. Really? Yes. Huh. I yes. didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So 
white people have always been a part of the struggle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to leave people thinking like, man, we're just terrible out here. No. Yeah. You know, the abolitionist movement was yeah. started and funded primarily by white Christians. Yeah. You know. Um, and I do think, and this is a little, I mean, similar in similar vein, I do think sometimes we are forgetting right now that hundreds of thousands of white people did die in the Civil War mm-hmm. to not all of them to free the slaves so right. just to keep their country together all of them a lot of them had different reasons but mm-hmm. that was one of the reasons yeah yeah. Um, yeah so you know we definitely don't want it to seem like there is this apathy towards that the church has shown towards this now there like i said the church has been very complicit mm-hmm. but we don't want to generalize the white church is like this evil force behind all of the injustices is that's just that's just not true yeah so but when it comes to civil disobedience um do we do i preach that no i mean it's just <laughs> you know it's not like every pastor's preaching that yeah it's not um, every sunday no no we that's not that's not our text <laughs> yeah you know, it's not our text we don't read that text that tony evans read every week. yeah um but you know there's that uh-huh. we feel compelled you know if my yeah. people it's just like uh-huh. you know if you have a church full of people hungry yeah. And everyone one week says we're hungry, and guess what you're gonna do next week? You're gonna feed them all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you come back next week, y'all, everybody's gonna eat. Yeah. And it's the same thing. If everyone in our con- if in everyone in our congregation is suffering a form of oppression, mm-hmm. then guess what I'm gonna speak to? Yeah. Guess what I'm gonna try to address? Yeah. And I think um uh, you actually went a different way uh, with that than I thought you were, would, which is actually really good because I think that's one of the things that need to be addressed. And then as you look throughout the African-American church history, too, like civil disobedience is needed because you're not in positions of power. Correct. Right. Where, or you don't identify either with the people who are in power. Correct. Um, so you don't identify with the politicians prior to 1960. Correct. Like you don't have any. Right. Right? Like right. right. You're not able to. You're not allowed to. I mean, if you're in the South, you're not even really allowed to vote. Right. Hardly. Um, uh, and so what, how, else do you, how else do you influence the government? Yeah. Besides civil dis- disobedience, exactly. uh, because you don't have a voice, yeah. um, and it and so forth and so and uh, now I mean I believe you guys have it. In general, I think the black population has more of a voice in politics. It can be argued about whether or not how much is really there, or if it's enough, or or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I do think some of that has changed a little bit, and so maybe that's why it. You know that, and that's again why I think. Um, we're in this struggle to figure out, like, okay, yeah. how do we how do we navigate 2020? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's not 1960, but where you know, and mm-hmm. with in the church and outside of the church, uh, and I don't have all the answers for that. And we'll talk about again, like maybe we'll talk about politics a little more at some point. But uh, there's certainly a history of that, and so you have that history in the black church where mm-hmm. you needed to do that. Um, and there are probably places where that still needs to be done inside the black and the white church. Um, it's not like the white church is, is absent from civil disobedience. Um, it just doesn't seem to be as prevalent. Now, yeah, no. Um, like I said, the majority of, you know, when you watch, you know, a lot of those videos of sit-ins or individuals are being beaten, you know, you see white brothers sitting right next to the black brothers. Um, in that fight for integration or integrating the South. So definitely, definitely civil disobedience. Frederick Douglass once said, um, he said, power is not given up without a demand or control. One of those things, it's not given up without a demand. We have to demand it. 
you have to demand it. Yeah. I read Frederick Douglass's, uh, his first narrative, the first part of his narrative, mm-hmm. a couple, about a month or two ago. Look Everybody needs to read that book, too. Look at That's, you. Now, he could <laughs> preach, too, man. Like, he was oh, yeah. an orator, order yeah, too. You, know, you read it, like, man, I would have loved to have heard him speak, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, just reading reading what he wrote. And his, his, he has uh, the, the edition I wrote, too. I mean, there are some basically sermons in there mm-hmm. from him mm-hmm. um, that are just, they're just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. so I think any Christian should should read Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, because all... You know, just throughout history, you know, for the African-American, especially in that part, we don't have power. What do you have? You have your voice. Yeah. So, you know, the, being a rhetorician um, was very, uh, you know, it, it, it's what made you stand out. Mm-hmm. You know, being able to speak and being able to preach. Yeah. Um, that's what made you stand out. Yeah. So uh, that's a, something fun to talk about there for a few minutes here. Um, talk about the black preacher. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> like you, you spoke about him a little bit, who, yeah. he, who he was, maybe who he was, and then who is he now? Okay, so who is he now? That's a good question. So historically, like I said, the black preacher, um, the black preacher, initially, just keep in mind, most of them were illiterate, so all they did was tell stories and retell stories. A lot of times, they would hear the white preacher preach, and they couldn't read, but they could remember what the white preacher preached. Um, say so that's one of the reasons that the narratives were preached so often in the black community, like the Exodus, you know, like Daniel and the lion's den, mm-hmm. you know, all these narratives, because, you know, we can pick up on that easily and I can't read, but I can re-preach that. Yeah. So that was what stories are much easier to remember. I mean, Jesus told parables. Right? Yes. To people. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that, that's part of who that, that was. Um, the, the practice of things like call and response, talking to the preacher, you know, those are the, some of those characteristics and traits that kind of came over um, from Africa. Uh, we are, we are, the African was an expressive spiritual spiritualist. Yeah. Very expressive in how we worship. And it's not emotionalism. It's just that in the African, there's a great book I read on African theology um, which is based on talking about African Christian theology. The African was uh, holistic. God was in everything. Yeah, and He is. If you look at the Old Testament, I mean, God is. Yeah. I mean, He's not, it's not a pantheistic. Right. But yes, yes, He is like, in the midst yeah. of everything. Like yeah, He's he working. He's, he's working, working thing out for our good. He's mm-hmm. executing justice. Mm-hmm. Like you know, all of those sorts of things. Correct. Yeah. And for the African, that's how they worshipped mm-hmm. like w- the worship was not a intellectual thing it was not just an emotional thing it was not just a physical thing it was all of it it was all encompassing is how you worship God so it's just kind of like when you go to a movie you don't go to a movie and say alright I'm just going to focus on the intellect or I'm just going to focus on humor you put your whole self in that movie and whatever that movie draws out of you you yeah. give it yeah. And that was kind of how the African um, work. That's how African worship was and came over. And it was really a thing of, you know, they would go to, um, I read a book and talked about the history of the African church, African American church. And, you know, they would go to their church service um, that was led by the slave master or, you know, the, the slave master would have them go to church. And they would go to that church service. And these were those generation of Christians where, you know, they believed that the Christian God was my God. And 
it wasn't doing it for them. So they used to sneak out into the jungles. Yeah. And they would have their own worship services, which was more in tune with their cultural identity. You know, that's where the spiritual dancing came from and, you know, just all that stuff, which is yeah. all stuff that's been passed down to them from generation to generation, um, how they worshiped. Mm-hmm. Now, what is that? What is the black preacher today? You know, the black preacher today, once again, you know, there's a multitude of influence as to how they preach and why they preach the way they preach. You know, so you have some black preachers or if you close your eyes, you couldn't tell if it was white or black. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the same thing about some white preachers. Yeah. Um, but you can't tell because, you know, like I said, it's a, you know, it's a personality thing. It's a uh-huh. preference thing. You know, I did not, you know, I was not raised in that type of church where there was outward spirituality and, you know, expressiveness and all this other stuff. Or I didn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I went over and I went this route. And this is the way I preach. Um, and you have some who are true to the idea of um, hooping. Is the only way to really preach. Okay, yeah. You know, hooping. If you don't know what hooping is, that's when you are pretty much giving your whole self over uh-huh. <laughs> to the sermon. You're giving your whole, all your energy in your Bible, in your body uh-huh. is dedicated to getting these words out. Um, and, and, you know, kind of the history behind that is complex. I can't even really pin it down myself. It's so uh-huh. complex, but it really comes down to um, is just being able to express yourself fully uh, in a way that you're going to pull a response out of your people. Mm -hmm. You know, the response out of your people was not for show. It was not simply for, so I can say, but if they're not engaged, they're not receiving. Yeah. Is the idea, um, which is why call and response is so powerful. But yeah, the preacher today, man, there, there's a multitude. There's so many. It's a diverse bunch. The black preacher today is so diverse. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, what kind of many preachers in my generation uh, got caught up in was the celebrity preacher era where, you know, the celebrity preacher has the ability to attract thousands and tens of thousands and they're traveling all over the world. So a lot of people in my generation, we felt as though that's what it was. And what happened there, unfortunately, was kind of an exchange of the gospel, the true gospel, for the prosperity gospel. Okay. And a lot of black preachers got caught up in that. White preachers, too. Let me stop saying just black preachers. But a lot of them um, just kind of got caught up in that prosperity gospel, which is very attractive. The prosperity gospel is attractive to people who have always been suffering. Okay. So... They got caught up in that. Most of them are being cleansed of it uh-huh. now. Most of them, because a lot of these preachers who are preaching prosperity and they're repenting now and yeah. they're saying it was wrong. So now, you know, you have these preachers who are actually going back to their training. Yeah, a lot of them. I mean, and this is mm-hmm. the white church too. They got caught. Oh yeah, they got caught basically in, in blatant sin, like mm-hmm. in a number of ways, right? Oh yeah, God is my servant almost in those. Yeah, and in, in those in that type of mindset as you approach the scriptures and mm-hmm. and Christ. And so yeah. if God becomes your servant, like your life is eventually going to be turned upside down. Yeah. Like if you expect God to serve you and you're not, to, you know, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it appealed. Yeah. You know, it appealed. To, it, it appeals to suffering people. And yeah. unfortunately, I actually just preached a sermon series on the gospel of suffering. What it does is it's it, it takes it robs people who 
have leaned on God in suffering, it robs them of that ability to lean on God in suffering. It's like, wait, something's wrong if I'm suffering. So I have to ask God to take me to just, you know, just deliver me, deliver me, deliver me, as opposed to sustain me, sustain me, sustain me. Yeah. So. So man, it's all kinds. You, of you're giving great answers because you know, like like Tony, I'm just gonna give our listeners this right. He says the diminished role of the black preacher is this: the spiritual has taken secondary role over the social and the political in recent times. Mm. And I would actually say that's also true in the white church mm. to a certain extent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so that's what, the only reason I wanted to bring that up, not because you missed it. I don't think you. I think you hit. It's. It, I, I'm glad that you shared what you shared because mm-hmm. uh, I hadn't thought of that. Mm-hmm. Hadn't heard that. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I think the white church to some extent has e- either, um, the preacher has lost, it's interesting, maybe, I guess a challenge for the preacher in the white church, pastor in the white church is, uh, depending on what kind of church you're in, if you're in just, I hate to have these categories, but in a more left-leaning church, mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of supposed to preach politics mm-hmm. all the time, <laughs> almost like that kind of becomes an idol. But if you're in a more conservative church, you're supposed to never talk about them mm. uh, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. unless it's, like I said, kind of a Romans 13 sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, let's elevate the government. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and so, um, and I, again, I think because of that, maybe we are losing, I think that's one of the reasons we're losing some of my generation and mm. those younger because you do want to actually have conversations about okay how should we as christians navigate this and um it doesn't feel like when you read the scriptures that it should be political change all the time like that's the answer yeah. typically right along it, 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 that goes along either with the democratic party or that it have to be this Republican where I'm about their entire platform as yeah. well and just kind of get on board. And maybe this is just me, but like feel like, right, the, the gospel, the scriptures yeah. give us a different view. Completely different. View. Um, uh, and yeah, let's speak into certain issues mm-hmm. on this and what the, how the church should respond to each particular ish, issue maybe. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like the white church has, has um, struggled there too. Any questions for me? I got a, we got a few more minutes here. Oh man. yeah, man. I got, of course. So yeah. let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. What is your perception of the black church and the black preacher and all that other stuff? You know, that's a good question. Um, Be candid. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, like uh, so, um, it's it's it depends on the person. Just like you're mm-hmm. saying, the black church is not monolithic. So if you ask me, right, like there's a number of pastors on Moody Radio and stuff. Um, if you would ask me within like their age groups, you know, breaking down age groups, sometimes you just, you, you listen to the person who's about your age or whatever, mm-hmm. grown up in your culture, so they're easy to listen to. But if you were to throw like all the pastors that are Moody or online that are in the age group about Tony Evans, like I would rather listen to Tony Evans, mm-hmm. you know, um, he's... He's one. He's just great with the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, he's a fantastic preacher, obviously, but he has fun while he's preaching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he's expressive, uh, and um, he's he's great exegetically, but he's also great uh, with his illustrations mm-hmm. and so telling mm-hmm. stories and weaving all those sorts of things in. Uh, 
my professors from college aren't going to watch this, so I can say whatever I want as far as <laughs> my, you know, being at Beeson Divinity School, too. We had basically two preaching professors there. My favorite was Dr. Smith, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Robert Smith, who was a black preacher and teacher. Um, and so, like, he was, he's the one who trained us, mm-hmm. you know, trained me how to preach to a certain extent. Like, his classes, the class mm-hmm. that I most enjoyed as far as, as preaching is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um and so generally, like, I have a very positive view of black preachers. Where I struggle sometimes is when, and I do this with white preachers too, so this is not just a black church, but, like, okay, that seems to be more of a political issue, mm-hmm. like, or a political axe to grind mm-hmm. um, more than, I don't know how to say this, um, like, I, I'm not sure how you get that. Like, I'm not sure how you can spend an entire. Uh, this is a hard thing to say, you know, <laughs> hard thing to figure figure out. Like, I'm not sure that was where the Bible, what the Bible has to say about that issue, gotcha. or, um, I feel like that was, or I feel like that was led more by emotions mm-hmm. than by truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, whether it be the scriptures or. And it might be maybe reason or data, and it's hard to hard to say like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. pick out a, a, a particular person or whatever who has done that or whatever that might be. Um, but I do, yeah, I, I think it's, that's probably maybe uh, I think that maybe sentiment not just among myself but maybe other white pastors or yeah. just white people in general. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess when you see like. Uh, you know, the pastors or preachers that are most often on like TV, right? It's it's uh, like Al Sharpton mm-hmm. or somebody like that, where it seems like okay, you seem to be more political mm-hmm. than biblical, uh, and so that it's like okay, is mm-hmm. is he the voice? And I don't think he is in general. While at the same time, he shouldn't be ignored. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I, I don't think anybody should be ignored. Right, right. Um, you know, you talked about Dr. Cornell West. Uh, I find him to be extremely interesting. I differ with him on all sorts of things, mm-hmm. but I'm not not going to listen to him. Right. You know. Right. Uh, so that's a, that's a, that's a, that's, a, that's, uh, that's reasonable. Yeah. yeah. I can I can but understand. I don't like look at you and and like see that there's a huge difference between us. I'm sure we have different preaching styles and teaching styles, but that's mm-hmm. saying mm-hmm. for. A white pastor, any white pastor that I know, yeah, you know as well. Yeah, well, you know, you 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 got lucky with me. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what else? That was a bad answer. I, I, no, it's a, yeah. it a great answer. It's a great answer. And the reason it's a great answer is because you know it just kind of speaks to you know that you really don't see that much difference between black preacher, white preacher until they. You know, until they kind of put themselves out there as different, doing kind of getting out of bounds. You know yeah. what I'm saying with it? But you kind of saying, based on sound of what you're saying to me, is man, good preaching is good preaching. Yeah, yeah. No, seriously. <laughs> like, you know, I tell people all the time, I'm not reformed, but mm-hmm. I a lot of times like listening to reformed preachers because they, I believe, right now in this moment of time, a lot of them are better biblically. Mm-hmm. 
and exegetically than mm-hmm. people of even my own tradition, the Wesleyan tradition, and so mm-hmm. forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, yeah, a lot of the, I like listening to them sometimes mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. Um, or even Dr. Evans leans to being more reformed himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think, uh, if you want to know about him, um, but yeah, so yeah, it, I can. Good preaching is good yeah, preaching. Good preaching is good preaching, you know? <laughs> Once anybody, whether it's black or white, yeah. leaves the scriptures, and it's not that you can't sp- expound upon them or say, hey, that's what I think, or this is right. how I think this applies to this current situation or whatever, I start like, okay. Or not just leave scriptures, but and, to, and this is to me, to leave rational thought yeah. sometimes. Or like, okay, well, the data says this is true, or this isn't true. And not that experience should be ignored. Um but yeah, so trying to figure all that out, you know. Yeah, man. Yeah, that makes sense. What else? I mean, so I guess my next uh-huh. question to follow up to that one is, uh, like, what do you think is the biggest difference between the black church and white church culturally? Culturally, as opposed when I say that, I mean as opposed to just numbers, more black people in the black black church. What do you think yeah. is the big difference? Like from your Experience, what do you see as a big so, Unfortunately, I don't have a ton of experience in the black church. Um, I think when I look at the black church, what I long for maybe in our church that you might have more so of, and we're getting there. Like I, I'm like I'm a big believer in the church, mm-hmm. um, big C, like congregations mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Christ loved His church. I think we should love the church. Uh, um. I see people in the church as brothers and sisters in Christ, like famil- in a familial way. Mm-hmm. I think an advantage, maybe, the, and I think you're losing this. We've talked about this a little bit with the individuality that comes within the church, um, the familial aspect of mm. the black church. And I think some of that was um, was brought about right by historically being an oppressed people, mm-hmm. and so oppressed people typically they bond together mm-hmm. in a particular mm-hmm. way. Well, I mean, to be honest, beyond, like, some certain social issues and stuff like that, the white church really isn't persecuted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we come to church on Sunday morning. We leave. We return to our neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they're not, like, who we attend church with aren't living beside of us, beside us. And so um, so the familial, the familial aspect of the black church, I think, is an advantage if you still have it, right? Yeah. Um, and it's something I think the white church needs to recapture. Uh, and really think about um, uh, not just because that's where I think some of like Christian community needs to happen and and that's where a lot of times Christianity is experienced Uh, it's it's hard to talk about redeeming love and unconditional love when um, you don't receive that really from anybody in the church right because it's not because they don't want to give it it's just because they don't know you right 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 Right? Um, and a lot of times and again, I think this is happening in a lot of churches. So you mess up or you make a mistake or you tick somebody off and you live in the suburbs, right? You don't stick it out at that church. You just go to a different just church. Right? Yep. You don't you don't reconcile, you don't forgive. Right. Like you just go to a different church. Mm-hmm. If you want to stick it if you want to stick it out in the church. Yeah. yeah. Um uh whereas I think I, I I'm making an assumption here that the black church has been better at that at that. Um uh, and it, like you just so you think about even like um, 
I don't know what your fellowship looks like after your services and stuff like that. Ours has gotten a lot more robust, mm-hmm. I think, since I've been at our congregation. I'm told that. Um, but uh, I think there's an area that when I look at the black church, I'm like, yeah, they got that. They seem to have that right or maybe a little bit more right than we do. Um, and so just trying to recapture uh, some of that in our own church. That's why I always push groups. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you got to have friends in the church. Um and some of that's my own experience. I live away from family. Yeah. And so it's like, and, and a lot of people do now. I, I think it's especially younger people that go to college and they mm-hmm. move off to find a job or whatever. So they're, they're displaced. Um, uh, but uh, so I think that's one of the things when I look at the black church, like, hey, man, that's a positive thing that, you know, we – Again, I don't like say, hey, look at the black church. I don't say, look at Span Ministries. Look at what they're doing or whatever. Yeah. Um, they're good at this. Like, we need to be good at this because they're good at this. Because um, uh, I actually don't know how good you are at it. It's a perception that I have mm-hmm. of the black church just mm-hmm. as I have perceptions of black mm-hmm. preachers or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I think to, it has it, to just speak to that real quick. It depends on the leader. Yeah. If the, if the, if the leader cares about that, then, yeah, it's easy yeah. for a black, church, a black church to become communal. Mm-hmm. It's very easy mm-hmm. uh, if they care about that. If they don't yeah. care about it, then nah, it's not. Okay. Um, but you made a good point earlier. That's real. Um, how, you know, oppressed people, you know, people are persecuted. Yeah, you know, they do come together. Mm-hmm. And that is why you would see um, for, you know, families, you know, black families will stay at one church for generations. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? For that. Yeah. Up until the 80s and 90s, it began to shift a little bit. But yeah, yeah man. Yeah. Good stuff, bro. Yeah. Well, hey, I really appreciate you being here. I got to head this off the fun. football practice in ah. a few minutes. So, but yeah, I love doing this. We're we're gonna do this more every Friday, yes. and um, help people tune in. Uh, so, um, thank you for being here. Love your brother, and uh, yeah, you want to no say anything before we? Man, thank you, up. sir. This is great. I'm glad you initiated this, man, and I'm looking forward to next week. All right, awesome. See you next week. Yes, sir.